the Freed from the Real podcast is brought to you each week by PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and CapeFearGames.com. You can listen to us each week on PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and MTGCast.com. I'll be one of your hosts, the always uh, eager AJ. Uh, with me is the delightful KSLA. Hey, everybody. And the one and only truly original Rune Liger, Sebastian Park. Thank you. As ever, this is the Free From The Real podcast, bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and stuff from the offline game which is of interest to us. Now, let's start with something interesting. Wizards are actually responding to some player issues. What's going on there? Well, uh, last weekend, um, not the, this just past weekend, but the one before that, there was a PTQ that had a couple of issues. Uh, the largest one being that there was, once the top eight had started, there were some lag and some timeout and some disconnecting issues that knocked some of the top eight, I think all of them actually, all the top eight players out of the draft um, or off the client. And basically resulted in their first like six or seven draft picks being automatically drafted for them before order could be restored and the players could be settled into the event and get rolling. And Wizards really didn't have an answer for that, so they just said, sorry, tough luck, play out the top eight with your 37 draft cards and hopefully you can do something with those auto-drafted ones. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that obviously created some ill will and some issues. So now going forward, they've tried to mess with the client to fix that. So what they've done is to basically the sever the Swiss portion and the top eight portion of the events. So from now on, if you are playing in a PTQ and you make the top eight, uh, you're going to need to be in the scheduled events room so you can be contacted by a member of Wizards of the Coast because they're going to manually create the top eight draft. So the event will officially end um, after the Swiss portion, and then a new event will start as a top eight draft. And you'll compete in that way. Uh, philosophically, it's still the same thing, but logistically, it's going to change a little bit. Um, in addition to that, some other upgrades that are important is that the number of players has been increased. I think the cap before was like 768 or something like that. And now it has been bumped up to 1,024 players. And no matter what the attendance is, all PTQs will now be 11 rounds. Um, they're doing this to ensure that players that have, if you are X and 1, that you were in the top eight. They don't want people to be X and one and to get like 11th place because yep. that's ridiculous to ask that you have to be undefeated yeah. or be the, the, you know, undefeated up until the very last couple rounds where your opponents are still undefeated. So your tiebreakers are the ones that get you in. On the other hand, this does mean clearing out your entire schedule for the day on which this is scheduled. Or if it's not in your time zone, you'd better clear out the entire weekend to recover. Absolutely. But I mean, I would rather do that than to play in a 10 round tournament win 90% of my matches, and not make the top eight. <laughs> like, that would, be in, that would be infuriating. <laughs> like, so I went nine and one, and I get a couple packs. Yeah. Okay. Like <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would sting. Beyond our belief. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, it's good that they've implemented these changes now. It really sucks for what happened last time. I heard there are some situations where some people, like, 
all, like miraculously auto drafted two rares that are very good. And I was like, wow, that sucks. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's very unfortunate. Although when we were talking about that, that did lead uh, my friends and I to come up with a really goofy idea for a draft format, and basically to have your first pack, uh, obviously you have to do it in real life, auto drafted for you without picking. So you just take a random card. And so your entire first pack is 15 random cards, and then you get a 30-second review, and then you can draft the two remaining packs as normal. I can see that working. If you, <laughs> um, I think the important thing there is to not know what you've missed. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so long as you can't have buyer's remorse, then, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I could just imagine some of you like, hey, I have two Jaces, and the guy to his left and the guy to his right are like, God. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're playing like four cards, it's not a big deal. You'd like you'd be like want to be like, hey, I have two pack rats, and you're like, ah, crap. <laughs> uh, although I guess when you have one pack rat, you do have two pack rats. Yes. Full point of the card. Okay. But uh, so yeah, so mostly some you know positive changes to hopefully fix the experience of PTQs um, in response to some unfortunate events uh, at the most recent PTQ. Now. Some other of um, Watsi's recent um, responses have not got entirely the same amount of positive reaction to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, recently, we noticed there was an issue with a, an incredibly decreased number of deck lists being posted on MTG Online, uh, the Mothership website like for Magic Online news and information. Uh, before, we had... Tons of daily events and premier event results posted there that you could sift through and look at all the decks that were 4-0 or 3-1, um, or that top 8-ed or top 16 the uh, the premier event, whichever was the case. Uh, about two weeks ago, we noticed that the number of decklist posting was slow to come up. Like, we only got a couple of decklists. Well, now we found out that's intentional. Um, about 10 days later, after people started to complain and talk about this, we were told through a random post on the forums and nowhere else, that Wizards has implemented a policy change to where they're only going to post one tournament result per format per day. So you'll get one block, one standard, one modern, one legacy, one classic, one sealed. And that will be the deck list you can go off of. Uh, after some more cajoling, it was determined that that would be the tournament that had the greatest number of attendees, um, and then we would see the 4-0 and 3-1 decks from that. They're arguing that they feel like this is contribu- this amount of information is contributed to formats being solved quicker, and so they're going to limit the amount of information in an attempt to allow formats more time to mature in that process. Yeah. I mean, look, we could go on and on about this, but we're going to save you guys the trouble um, and save Watsi the trouble and just you know, go on the record saying this is just a generally a bad move. Um, there's been a lot of talk both in sociology, and I- I've mentioned this before in information um, economies, right? So... Uh, it really disenfranchises people who are from smaller non-magic communities entering the game. Um, there are people who live in not... If you live in like a middle to upper middle class family in Palo Alto, for example, you have access to like Channel Fireball, an entire playtest group out there. You, this stuff doesn't matter as much, right? But for those guys who you know, may not have as much money, may not live in one of those major magic hubs, this was an important piece of information. It just doesn't make any sense that you'd eliminate something that really doesn't take that much energy. It's probably an XML feed sent to their website that they just convert into a format. It doesn't take up that much bandwidth. It seems very dumb. And second, like it's in terms of their argument for solving the format quicker, like one, why is that a horrible thing? Two, what, what's the issue here? Like it's, it seems to me that like 
the chess analogy comes into play. Like, yes, it's a sol- chess is a solved game insofar as you consider all the information is known, but that doesn't change the complexity of the strategy. So. Yeah. Although, admittedly, chess has never released a Blightsteel queen. Yes, uh, this, this is true. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I just, I, yeah, my biggest problems are, A, this is yet another communication faux pas by Wizards to make a change and then only tell us about it when we pester them about it and to not make that widely available. Like, you can still only find this, like, really posted in the Magic Online forums where Blippi the Slug posted saying, what's going on? I can't, you know, data mine like he does and provides for anyone who so reads his articles, which is a great service for modern, um, to have all that information. He's like, I can't do this. What's going on? Post the results quicker. They're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're changing the way we do that. <laughs> yeah. Look, at, at, at a certain level, we wouldn't have what we do right now if it wasn't for wizards being bad at what they do. And that's I, I know that sounds extremely harsh, but it's I just like it, it'd be better if we knew the actual thought process. And it just doesn't make a ton of sense that they would implement a thought process like this. Yeah. No, and I mean, you're right. Wizards has a long-standing history when it comes to Magic Online news and information of being bad at delivering that. Like when this podcast started several years ago, like that was kind of the idea was to have a place to culminate all of the news and going-ons of Magic uh, so it could be in one place. And we try to do that each week. And really, our job hasn't gotten any easier. Like, we still have to dig around to find all the information to put in this podcast when there's news going on, which means that in the entire time, the 196 episodes that we've been doing this... Almost four Wizards years is, of this. <laughs> Wizards has not gotten any better at, you know, pro- compiling relevant Magic Online news in a single place. Other and things have happened during this period of time. Skype became mainstream, so we literally have video phones. Twitch TV and Justin TV started, so we can literally watch video games all the time. Yet, you know, posting information, too big a deal. A black president was elected. (laughs) I think it's more of a corporate culture issue. There's, It's something which is essentially top-down from higher up in the company, and the people who talk to us and have the leeway to talk to us don't have the permission to do what they need to do. There's not... There isn't that level of authority which is required for a clean, efficient transfer of information process. Basically, yeah, but, but if, if you're telling me your cultural philosophy is that we're bad at communicating to our customers, like, you need a culture shift. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just a terrible business plan. This is not necessarily a new thing. This is something which, um, as we've said before, is something which it's a culture shift has been needed for a long time, and there's reasons why things like Pathfinder overtaking D&D and uh, Magic, Magic's doing really well because they're really, really good at making a good, continuous, cohesive card game. But in terms of things around that, communication-wise, it's... Sometimes you look at it and you just sigh. No, absolutely. It's just... It's, it's, it's baffling to me. I can't even get the words out how they can grow in so many areas related to the game, like design and development has grown significantly and the game has become much stronger for that. Um, in other platforms like Duel of the Planeswalkers, they've grown in the purpose of that. They've created this solidified vision for the game and they've advanced that. Organized play has grown in advance, like judges are able to better communicate and better get information out. Organized play like has grown. We see cool things like 
um, the war marks picking sides, achievements in pre-releases. Just recently, the guild packs. I thought that was a really cool thing for pre-releases. They they just seem to have grown by so much in so many ways. But then we just said, like, literally for the last four years, we've had the same ill will generating, poorly used communication tactics um, for Magic Online. And just think, another example, like right now, the, the PTQ announcement that we're talking about and saying how great it was, why is that not in the news feed at MTG Online on what's happening? Especially when they posted that on Friday, and they, part of the announcement also says you have to re-register for the PTQ if you want to play in it because it had to be reestablished. So, yes, it's on the main – when you log on to the client, the, in just the regular text there in about six-point font, it says PTQ announcement. Click here to read. You can see it there, and you can see it if you click through and go to the groups page and click on the newest announcement, assuming you check that on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, which you wouldn't normally do because they only do announcements there typically on Tuesdays. Like, why do they make it so hard to get key information? Like, why is it not everywhere? Why do we have some announcements that only appear on Twitter? Like, ah. You know. Uh, I mean, it's... Thank you for making this podcast relevant for four years. It's like, that's the end of it. And so... (laughs) We'll probably we'll probably move on right now, but it's it's. I mean, I think it's something to keep in mind. I just don't see why, uh, if if you were to look just look at revenue numbers and if you're that type of like if you're a product guy, like why is do you discount communication? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <sighs> not to like say said, that everything they do is rubbish. No, and it's and it's not that I expected anything different. Like I'm not surprised by it because, like you said, we have a long track record to show that this is the way things go. It's just annoying. Like it's just it's and it's a bad business move, and it just continues to create ill will. So I don't know why you wouldn't try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. But uh, you know, obviously we we have our opinion on that matter. We've shown you how we really feel. Um, so we'll move on. Last little bit of news that we have: um, Return to Ravnica Redemptions will be open for business. If you want to redeem Return to Ravnica, you can start doing that after the downtime tomorrow. Just, you know, log on the client, buy the little thing in the store, and, uh, you know, got to wait a week to process, but you'll be good to go. Yeah, um, good news occasionally. Yeah, and also, you know, watch for Mythics to start going up as the Mythic bottleneck for Redemption occurs. So if you want yeah. an RGR Mythics, get them now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there are Mythics that don't see a lot of plays that aren't that expensive right now, but if I want to redeem my Jace, I need to collect it, so. Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, as they get removed from the system, you know, slide drops, demand stays the same. Basic economics. Yeah. Keep your eyes open. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, so, but speaking of economics, let's go ahead and look at our prices. But we're going to shake things up this week since we have a modern PTQ season coming up, and we have been focused on standard quite a bit. Thought we would sift through and take a look at some of the modern staples and see what their price tags are like. Yep. This is also relevant because upcoming we have um, uh, the. Um, new Modern Masters set uh, due to come out next year, which we'll see what they do with. Uh, one thing which caught my eye was Kotaki Wars Wage, which was a third set card um, designed as a uh, kicker for Affinity, which is currently at 11.4, because it's very good at its job, and Robots is doing pretty well at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. A very a good card, a key card. And I think probably the last valuable card out of uh, saviors, considering Piving Needle was the big other big draw from that set, but it's been reprinted multiple times now. Yep. So, 
unless you're going to get a enduring renewal um, resurgence. Yeah, yeah, enduring, enduring ideal. During renewal was the white enchantment that comboed back in the day. Yeah. Right. In renewal, ideal, it's all white philosophical stuff. <laughs> and it's very enduring. Uh, except both those combo decks are not very enduring. Well, you could still try to give them a try. It's been a while. They might, um, you might still be able to make a winner out of them. But, uh, and hey, nobody expect it. Yeah. And how far has, co- has combo technology come? I think, because I'm just saying that coming back to enduring renewal, that was, you comboed enduring renewal with, like, the card where you sacrifice a creature to get mana and Ornithopter to create infinite mana. So that was a three-card combo to generate infinite mana. You still needed something else to kill them. And now we're like, if it's not a two-card, I win the game combo, we're, like, terrible. Unplayable. Yep. <laughs> uh, we were really, really, really spoiled by Flash, honestly. Yeah. Oh, you mean, you mean I can literally Flash any of these cards into play and I win the game? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, now we're like one card combos. Yeah, just flash. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. And certainly Storm has uh, changed the landscape of combo. But yes. I digress. Um, yeah, no, Kataki, that's an interesting one. I think Affinity Robot is probably going to be very good in the coming modern season. You're going to need answers for it, and there are a few answers as good as Kataki. So you might want to get that now if you plan on playing PPQs, because it will go up during the PPQ season, uh, which is coming up. And it's pretty high now. You could well see it becoming a um, uh, possibly going up to, to um, hundred dollars a playset if um, it becomes the number one answer. Yep. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's very possible. I could see twenty dollars, twenty five dollars, no problem for that card because um, it is such a useful card mechanic. Although it'll be interesting um, to see more about modern masters because um, all the cards we have listed, we have a bunch of prices posted for you guys. And all of them are in the set range that would make the Modern Masters uh, printable. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if we get any more information about cards that are in the set, um, if they do, like, a preview week for it, or if they just tell us a few, or if it's just, like, a month before the set comes out, they're like, bam, here's what's in Modern Masters, or something like that. Like, it'll be interesting to see how the information comes out. Yep. Agreed. You know, and also for Magic Online, because... Um, it'll be interesting to see how the implementation is done and whether or not we can kind of draft it on demand or if it's during scheduled times or if you need a special ticket. Like, it'll be curious to see how it's done in Magic Online because in real life, obviously, we know they just print all the packs and then once it's gone, it's gone. Whereas yeah. online, it's a very different distribution model. It'd be quite interesting to compare how it's handled with the distribution online and off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we know, obviously, you can't redeem it, but... Uh, most people seem to be under the impression that they'll be it'll be available for them to play whenever they want. Like it, just like current maybe current queues where it's like tickets or packs and you enter and you fire. I'm not sure it'll be that simple um, because that really limits their ability to control the supply. But I don't know what their feelings are on that. So you know who knows. Yeah, I mean, but if their economists are as good as their um, PR people, you know, you know that could happen. Yeah. Now, and I mean, they, they may have not even decided how they're going to do that yet, so that may be something they're still talking about, and that's why we don't have any details. True story. We look, yeah, we look forward to getting them when we get them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but in the meantime, I mean, if you were looking at PTQs, like, that's kind of irrelevant for you, because that's, you know, December to March. So some of these cards are interesting to keep your eye, your eye on. A few um, 
We've got quite a few that are up there in numbers, but still have room to grow. Like if they once the season starts, like Arcbound Ravager, you know, sixteen eighty six is expensive, but could easily be you know twenty five thirty thirty dollars because it is a full auto four of in robots. Which, by the way, is, is a great name for the deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they they had a good point. Everyone kept calling it Affinity, and then one day we kind of looked at him. We're like, yeah, I really don't even have this. I don't have Affinity cards in here. I'm not playing Mirror Enforcer. I'm not playing Frogmite. Like, I'm not playing Affinity anymore. <laughs> Some people don't even play Thoughtcast. Yeah, you know, this is this is not your dad's Affinity deck. It, it could quite literally be your dad's affinity deck, though. So. <laughs> it actually could be. You know, it could be. It could be well, but... a twelve-year-old and like dad's like, here's a card, kid. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I suppose technically, but um... yeah, it's just hard because like some of these cards are you know financially constraining. But if you want to play those decks, kind of now is the time. Like Tarmogoyf, you know, dropped as a result of the announcement, but. You know, the PTQs are going to roll in, and people are going to say, hey, Modern Masters doesn't come out until June, and I want to play any deck that has green in it. I need Tarmogoyf. And we've seen hey. him get up to 70, 75, 80 tickets, and he's down to 50 right now. So. Yep. You know, I never thought $200 a, just... $200 a playset would be a bargain, but, you know. And that's just with him being a known thing, a known quantity in the next set, not even um, being available. Yeah. Although I'm still, I'm not a fan of the new artwork, so I'm still sticking with my old top voice. Uh, the, the new one looks more of a goif to me. Honestly, honestly, this is that's some serious first world problems right there. Yeah, you know, I don't like the new artwork. I'm, I'm like hold on to my four hundred dollar playset. You know? Yeah. I don't want to get new ones. I like my old art. Why would I want that junk? Yeah. No, you're right on that. <laughs> That'll be an interesting breakdown, though. I mean, because especially because so many of the cards are so widely used, and whether or not their artwork changes dramatically, and what that—it's weird how that can affect price on cards like these sometimes. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, yeah, any other interesting ones of note here? Of note, um, Scape Shift see, taking its way back into the ranks now that it is a deck again at about three seventy-nine. And Prismatic yeah. Omen at four thirty eight, which I thought was odd. I remember that card being like twenty five dollars when uh Valakut was the it deck. And seeing it at four just makes me want to like jump over that all over that, but uh, I remember it was two. Yeah, that's true. But I mean like I guess maybe it's just not the, the dominant deck that it could used to be in modern. Uh so. or was overinflated at the time. Yeah, perhaps. Now, one thought which occurred to me looking at this list, you've got Blink Moth Nexus, you've got Ink Moth Nexus. Are wizards thinking of doing a Pink Moth Nexus and a Clyde Moth Nexus? Possibly. <laughs> what what exactly would those do then, AJ? How, does, how do you translate uh, those into magic? I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. But... Um, <laughs> There's, there's about to be a Pac-Man set sometime. They'll reprint them. No, you can look for that in uh, um, the next unset if they ever do that. And they could they could print some kind of card, like, you know, some kind of Pac-Man card that's, like, activate its big ability, and then you could destroy target Blink Moth, Ink Moth. Uh, yes. All the, all the Nexi. Yes. Power Pill. Equipment. Yes. <laughs> If equipped, each target um, 
pretty much everything. Interesting connection back to our uh, original conversation. The original Pac-Man actually was a perfect information solvable game. Really? There is a maximum score. You can, there is an optimal path that you can take through Pac-Man. Pac-Man, they get you a maximum high score. It's wow. like I think it's like 76 million or something like that. But uh, there is an optimum strategy in Pac-Man to maximize today, your points. Today I learned. Today I learned. Yeah. Fair enough. So while people – while man may have not solved you know, chess or magic, arguably, we have certainly solved Pac-Man. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> on that bombshell, I think it's time to move on to our question of the week. Yes. So for our question of the week, uh, did you look at the deck lists that were on the Mothership website? Um, and if so, does it affect you? Are you upset about the limitation on the deck list? Uh, for me, that answer is clear yes. Um, especially when I was looking to jump into a new format that I hadn't played in a long time or ever, um, I would go through and immediately scroll through like 15 or you know 20 tournaments that happened recently to get an idea of what's going on, what's being successful, how are decks evolving uh, from day to day as they can on Magic Online, and just getting a give you a quick snapshot of the format from which you could jump off of. Um, and now, yes, I can still do the same thing, but I'm just constrained in the data, and there are you know, gaps in what I can see. So it just it just kind of sucks. It's going to just slow down the process of, like, learning and getting into a format and competing with people who have been playing it already for a while. Yep. Um, to me, it's a denial of access to information, and that's never a good idea. If you can't see what you're doing, if there's a deliberate intent to... Uh, it, it also never works. There's always more than one way to get the information. Yeah, I mean, Denying like, Star it... City Games is a great example of ways people pay money to get more information. And so you've basically created a, like, a, a paywall to play this game greater than the one you've intended. Good job, Obama. No. <laughs> it's, it's, Obama? it's one of those, like, funny, arg- funny political <laughs> arguments that people come up with all the time, right? Like, it's, like, it's, like, a fundamental argument that people have about how we should run different things in this world and one of the things is that it, it has that issue with here where it's like do you really want to advantage people who pay like $15 a month or however much that subscription costs yeah no absolutely like like you said like you know it's it's a clear resource and it's an it's a good place to start like especially for newer players or players that are not as savvy you may not know that star city games is a premier content provider or this website is now in vogue and like this is where you go for the latest information on this format you may not always know all that. It's not easy to find that information early on. Whereas you know, like, magic is made by Wizards of the Coast. So perhaps if you go to their website, you can get information. And now they're intentionally handicapping the information that they provide compared to some of the information provided by these other locations. Yeah. yeah. That to me is just not a good thing. Yeah. 1% of information goes to, what was it, 99% of information goes to 1% of the people? I don't know. Yeah. No, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you know, obviously our feelings are pretty clear about that. But if you know, if you have a different opinion, if you think this is good, if you think it will slow down formats, if you just don't care, uh, you know, just write us, write it up in the comments and let us know. Yep. Now, I believe that moves us on to uh, what you've been playing. So, what have you been playing, gentlemen? Yeah. Sebastian, you want to go? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've been playing a metric ton, I think, of uh, <laughs> of four pack sealed. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm just fixing the little mistakes I have in my game, trying to get back into being good. I found out the other day that being a pro game, you, you technically are a pro gamer if you play Magic the Gathering like competitively, which I thought was a very funny fact. You don't have to make a living off uh, being a gamer to be a pro gamer, apparently. Uh, which where, makes sense given the number of people who don't make a living and are pro gamers. How do you? Where are you basing this information off of that you are a pro gamer? No, 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 I'm not a pro gamer. But if you look on Wikipedia, the definition for a pro gamer is incredibly, incredibly loose. It's incredibly it's broad. Like, <laughs> you, all I'm you have to do pro- is compete in games for money, and I'm just like, wow, that's an incredibly loose definition. So you could, so there are several. So unlike what we typically think of as a pro gamer. Wikipedia argues there are lots of pro gamers and just a lot of people bad at their job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not a pro gamer, or I just play one online. <laughs> That's very true. Yep. Speaking of what I've been playing online, I've been dabbling with bringers this week. Um, uh, a fun little tribe of nine mana creatures with a slight discount possibility, dropping them on turn four or earlier. Um, mainly because there is an achievement available in the uh, weekend uh, tournament if you can get one of each in play at once. Yeah. So, yeah. And you, you got that achievement, right? Absolutely. Okay, now the important thing. After you played the fifth bringer and got the achievement, did you in all caps type bring it on to your opponent? Regrettably, no. Oh, come oh on, Oh, my AJ. God, that would have been so great. Come on, AJ. <laughs> How did that not occur to you the moment it happened? <laughs> like, come on, the entire deck was called Consider It Brought. I mean... <laughs> oh, man. You don't want to push it too far. Although, there's not really a too far I can go with that. Yeah, no, those, those are great. Those are fun. I, remember, I remember playing Bringer of Blue Dawn, like, in Prismatic decks, and just, like, like you get that card, and you're like, oh, my God, game over. Like, don't kill it, and the game's over. Oh, yes. And then they kill it. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm sad. <laughs> but if they didn't... Game's over. Yep. Um, this did include the fun little lock of um, uh, White Bringer and a Singleton Mindslaver, usually choose that with a Black Bringer. Yeah, that's right. I remember that being a, that was a deck, like, for a brief period of time um, in competitive tournaments where you do, like, White Bringer, Mindslaver lock. Yep. And also used, um, because I was, I was using a 12 post base with. Um, uh, Crystal Quarry to uh, get to the um, uh, early hit five and uh, play a bringer mana, which also gave me a singleton um, door to nothingness, which I pulled a couple of times. Nice. If you're generating uh, 10 mana in all five colors, then you might as well play it. Yeah. At that point, I mean, why wouldn't you play door to nothingness? Yeah. And if they stifle it, you've got the white bringer to bring it back. Sick. Well, the odds of them actually countering it up a little bit thin. Yeah, but just in case, you were ready. Mm-hmm. All right. Good deal. Uh, as for myself, I played in the, the Star City Games Dallas Standard Open this last weekend. Um, played, I took green-white humans uh, in the tournament, which I felt pretty good with. Um, I was planning on playing red for most of the time leading up to it, but then I just could not figure out a list that I really liked. Um, so I went with humans, which I thought was fine. And I started out strong. I went 2-0, uh, winning in two straight mirror matches. Um, then, unfortunately, the wheels kind of came off, and I lost the next three, and probably dropped out of the tournament at that point. Uh, but yeah, 
it was a fun experience. I'm glad to see, you know, the Star City Games events are growing. I think they got like 470 people somewhere in that range uh, for GP for SEG Dallas, which is pretty good for a Texas area one. They've grown quite a bit. I kind of feel like the SCG events are kind of like Grand Prix, uh, circa like 2001 or 2002. And like they've kind of grown in the trajectory of Grand Prix. Like, so maybe, you know, like eight years from now, nine years from now, we'll see like a 1,213 person uh, SCG event. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it'd be pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was fun, uh, even though I got my butt kicked uh, multiple times. Including to a viciously top-decked Craterhoof Behemoth uh, when I had the win next turn. But, uh, you know, that's the game. Yep. Alright, well, I believe that wraps us up this week for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, thanks to, for listening. Be sure to let it leave your comments and uh, go play some Magic, have some fun. Yep. Until next time, all the best. <laughs>